Hello, and welcome to Chasing Dramas, the podcast that discusses Chinese history and culture through Chinese TV dramas. This is Kathy. And this is Karen. Today, we are discussing episode 13 of Hou Gong, Zhen Huan Zhuan, Empresses in the Palace. Thanks to all of you who are joining us and listening to us on this podcast. We really appreciate all the support. If you are just joining us and don't know what this drama is about, we recommend checking out the intro to the drama episode first to get more information on the background of the show as well as the main characters. But if you just want to learn what is going on on episode 13 of this drama, we're more than happy for you to join us. And I'm actually so excited to talk about this episode. We will be discussing one of the most iconic scenes or dances of this entire drama. And it is uh, discussed today, even today, because of how well known this dance is. Well, before we get to that, let's talk about the show or the episode in general. In the last episode, we learned some really great news for uh, the best friend of our main character, Shen Mei Zhuang. She is finally pregnant. The Emperor Yongzheng and the Empress Huang Hou are discussing the happy news, and the Emperor wants to promote Shen Meizhuang to the next level of Pin. If you recall, currently she is a Guiyuan, which is the rank of a noble lady, and then the next step up is a Pin, which means that she will have the power to rule her own palace. But Huang Sheng and Huang Hou, the emperor and empress, conclude that they'll wait until the child is born before promoting her. However, the emperor Yongzheng is willing to give Shen Meizhuang a special title of Hui. Hui means virtuous, so she will now be called Hui Guiyun instead of Shen Guiyun. Hui describes Shen Meizhuang absolutely perfectly, right? And again, as a refresher, getting this additional title is a special privilege. Not everyone gets a title. Right. So currently we only have Jin uh, Huan with Wan, and now we have Shen Meizhuang with Hui. In the meanwhile, Shen Meizhuang and Jin Huan are discussing the news, and Shen Meizhuang is finally thinking ahead about her future and her stability within the Imperial Palace, uh, that is Hou Gong. With her being pregnant, Shen Meizhuang has come to the conclusion that Jin Huan is at a disadvantage all by herself at Yuan Mingyuan, the Summer Palace. So she requests for An Lingrong to join them. She acknowledges that you need someone like An Lingrong, who, Jin Huan points out bluntly earlier, Shen Meizhuang called ruthless in earlier episodes. Um, Shen Meizhuang says, you know, sometimes you just need someone like her around to make sure uh, that everything is okay. Well, Jin Huan goes and picks up An Lingrong. Again, she is in a janky little carriage, way different from when the rest of the party arrived at the Summer Palace. And An Lingrong has heard the news of Shen Meizhuang's pregnancy, and she's very excited for her. They go to greet the Emperor Yongzheng, but they spot Si Aga, the fourth prince, waiting to see his father. The poor kid hasn't seen his father yet, despite the fact that the emperor's been there for at least a few weeks. Jin Huan and An Lingrong head back to their palace, but are stopped by none other than the fourth prince, or Si Aga. This is the first time Jin Huan speaks to Si Aga, and 
Jin Huan asks An Lingrong to go ahead without her so that he and her can talk alone. The fourth prince also tells his governess to leave them so that they can chat. Sia Ge asks Jin Huan if his father doesn't like him. Jin Huan, of course, doesn't tell him the truth and gives him some words of advice and encouragement. She's surprised that he chose to talk to her. And here is where uh, we see that the fourth prince is definitely very smart, even at his young age. The fourth prince answers that it is not an easy feat to become a favored concubine. There must be something about Jin Huan. To that, Jin Huan says, Instead of admiring someone, why don't you become someone other people admire? She takes him to eat some desserts. And this conversation is seen by Jin Pin, another concubine in the palace. Is that good or bad? The rest of the episode focuses on Princess Wen Yi's first birthday celebration. As a reminder, Wen Yi is Cao Guiren's daughter, and Cao Guiren is Team Huafei, the main antagonist of the show. All of Hou Gong is in attendance, and we also see some princes or brothers to the emperor Yong Zheng make an appearance. We have the fifth prince and his concubine, the tenth prince, Dun Qingwang, and his wife. He is the son of Kangxi's empress's sister, which makes him um, one of the most well-born princes still around during this time. And it's somebody that Yongzheng needs to be very wary of. He has a lot of power. We have the 17th prince, Guo Wang, who is missing, as per usual. And we also have the 21st prince, Shin Bela. There's also another surprise appearance at this banquet, Duanfei. She is the mysterious consort that is always sick and has not yet made an appearance thus far in this show. She has the rank of consort, which is the same as Huafei, and you see Huafei's very unhappy face when Duanfei walks in. You can tell that Duanfei is an older woman in the imperial harem, and it is pretty obvious that Duanfei is ill. She can barely keep her head up when she's sitting. To celebrate Wen Yi's birthday, Duanfei gifts Wen Yi a necklace from her own dowry, which is a very extravagant gift. The festivities resume after Duanfei makes her appearance, but Jin Huan excuses herself to go outside. It's a bit stuffy in the banquet hall. She and Liu Zhu walk to a nearby pond to cool off. And who's watching? None other than Guo Junwang, the 17th prince in the background. Well, Jin Huan displays her uh, flair for fun, shall we say, by taking her socks off and shoes off and to cool off and play around a little bit with Liu Zhu. Unfortunately, Jin Huan almost falls in the pond and is rescued at the last second by the 17th prince. After saving her, the 17th prince, Guo Junwang, makes a rather bold comment about Jin Huan's exposed feet. And this is Imperial China. Saying something like that is flirting to the max. In Imperial China, you do not expose any part of your body to the other sex. It is very improper. And Jin Huan is understandably very annoyed and is hastily trying to cover her feet. She tells Liu Zhu to greet Guo Junwang. He's surprised. How does she know who he is? They've never met. Well, she says, who else has a flute, drinks very nice imported wine, and can be so impertinent? 
And with that, Jin Huan hurriedly leaves and cautions Liu Zhu to never speak of this encounter ever. Remember, this is the first time that the two have actually met, but Jin Huan already got into deep trouble the last episode by just having an association with Guo Jingwang in front of the emperor. If the emperor Yongzheng finds out that the two of them have met, and in this type of circumstance where Guo Jingwang has seen her exposed feet, then who knows what the emperor might think, and she may be punished with death. Well, just as Jin Huan is about to return to the banquet, she runs into Jin Pin, the imperial concubine who saw Jin Huan earlier with the fourth prince. Jin Pin requests Jin Huan for a chat, where Jin Pin gives Jin Huan the history about Si Aga. This is very much a friendly reminder. Don't mess with things you don't understand or don't have any benefit to you. Jin Pin is coming from a good place, which is nice. She's giving some sage advice to Jin Huan, which not many people have done as of yet. We'll just have to see if Jin Huan takes the hint. Remember in the last episode, uh, the fourth prince wanted to see also Huang Hou, and Huang Hou just said no to Si Aga. So this is very different um, for how Jin Huan is treating the fourth prince, and others have taken notice. Well, these two ladies return to the banquet, and Cao Guiyun has offered a new idea for entertainment for the attendees. She will randomly pick from a pile of activities, and the concubines will perform for the crowd instead. Fun, right? First up is the Empress Huang Hou. She writes the word birthday for the princess. Very fitting. Duan Fei gets the feeling that something isn't quite right and takes her cue to leave. She has the perfect excuse. She's sick. And at this point, it seems that something is up with Cao Guiyun. We know that Cao Guiyun is no pushover. So why did she request um, to have the concubines perform? And also be aware, having the concubines in the imperial harem perform in front of other gentlemen, even if they are the brothers to the emperor is pretty unusual. Well, who's up next? Cao Guiren just so happens to pick Zhen Huan to dance. Dun, 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 dun. Jing Hong Wu. The music instantly changes. What's happening? There's just too much to the legend of this beautiful Jing Hong Wu and the political undercurrents. The emperor even has a muted reaction. We'll dive into it later this episode, but Jin Huan changes into a Han-style dress to prepare for the dance, and Shen Meizhuang accompanies her by playing the traditional Chinese instrument, the Gu Qin, which we have discussed in previous episodes, and An Lingrong sings vocals. The dance is just fine at first, and apparently people aren't all that impressed, but suddenly, a flute accompaniment breathes new life into the dance. It elevates the entire performance and everyone, including the grumpy 10th prince, Dun Qingwang, is thoroughly impressed. And who provides this accompaniment? None other than the 17th prince. He bursts into the room playing a beautiful flute piece. At the conclusion of the dance, the emperor, Yongzheng, is speechless, utterly in awe of how beautiful the dance was. And he even asks, how many more surprises do you have for me? He is once again smitten with Jin Huan. Not that he wasn't ever, but he's like even more smitten with her. And 
This is much, much to the chagrin of the other concubines. The episode ends with Jin Huan sitting next to the emperor, and you can see Hua Fei making a fuss about a quote-unquote headache, because of course, she was hoping to make Jin Huan look bad, but instead, Jin Huan is out on top with this surprise uh, ability. So we'll see what happens next time with Hua Fei and her headache, but it's time for our analysis. The majority of our time this episode will be spent on the banquet. Who's there, who does what, and why? The first thing we want to discuss is the prince rankings. This is the first time that we have different imperial princes on the screen actually interacting with our main characters. At the banquet, we are introduced to several imperial princes, and they are all the younger brothers of our emperor Yongzheng. Now, there's a distinction here. Princes can mean sons of the current emperor or brothers to the current emperor. At the festivities, there is Hengqing Wang Yunqi, the fifth prince, Dunqing Wang Yun'e, the tenth prince, Guojun Wang Yunli, the seventeenth prince, who shows up later, and finally, Shen Beila Yunxi, the twenty-first prince. So again, these are all brothers to the current emperor. And the emperor himself was the fourth prince. Well, this seems to be quite a smattering of different princes. You may ask, what happened to the other brothers? Where are they? If you recall, we mentioned in previous episodes, the father of these princes and the emperor, uh, Kangxi, Emperor Kangxi, had 20 plus sons. But there was a famous coup called Jiu Zi Duo Di, which literally means the ni- that nine of these princes were split into factions to try to get the throne. And so the people at the table are either allies of the emperor t- who helped him get the throne or very powerful in their own right, or else too young or otherwise not a threat to the emperor. The 21st prince is an example of that. He's very young in the scene. The other princes, like the 8th prince, the 14th prince, and the 9th prince, well, they are either dead or in exile. If you're interested in watching dramas about this period, I recommend Bu Bu Jinxin and Gong Suo Xinyu. Both came out in the early 2010s and were hugely popular at that time. And the subject matter of those two dramas are based off of this coup with these nine princes. So you kind of one, one drama actually uh, prefers one prince and the other drama prefers the other faction. So it's quite interesting to see two sides of the same story. Well, in the Qing Dynasty, there are four ranks as a son of an emperor. As mentioned before in the previous episode, every prince is also called an aga, which is the general term for a son of the emperor. But you have formal titles as well. So let's start off with the formal titles. The first one is He Shuo Qing Wang, or just Qin Wang, which means Prince of the First Rank or Prince of Blood. So this is the rank of Heng Qin Wang and Dun Qin Wang, which are the fifth and tenth prince that we see here. Next up is Duo Luo Jun Wang, or Prince of the Second Rank, or Prince of the Commandery, and this is the rank for Guo Jun Wang, the seventeenth prince. Then we have Duo Luo Bela, the Prince of the Third Rank, or venerable prince, or a noble lord, and that's what we have for Shen Bela, the 21st prince. And finally, we have Gu Shan Beizi, or Beizi, prince of the fourth rank, or a banner prince, or a banner lord. 
Let's go a little bit into linguistics. The word Wang also means king. It's also a very popular Chinese last name that you probably have heard of. So again, it's Wang. Here, Wang in Qin Wang means prince. Before the first dynasty, some 2000 plus years ago, you had kings and you would refer to them as Wang. But with the first dynasty, you now have an emperor or Huang, which trumps them all. So our emperor Yongzheng right now is referred to as Huang Shang and not a Wang. So Huang is bigger than Wang. As an example, as a comparison, in Chinese, we would still call Queen Elizabeth II as Wang instead of Huang because she's not an empress. So another thing, Wang itself or Qing Wang are um, and have been more Han names. But Beila and Beizi, which are the prince of the third rank and prince of the fourth rank, those are strictly Manchu names. Okay? A little bit confusing, but just basically you need to know we have four ranks. As a prince, you gain titles mainly through the military or else other services for imperial court. As direct sons of the emperor, these men that we've mentioned here gathered today also enjoyed the eight privileges or bafen. And this was the practice that was retained from the early days of the Qing dynasty. What are the privileges? And uh, are these privileges only for the Qing dynasty, not for other Han dynasties before that? Yeah, so these were only reserved for the Qing dynasty and these were created for the Qing dynasty. So how it worked was during the early days of the dynasty and as the Manchu were uh, conquering China, they would split the spoils eight ways. And this kind of actually aligned with the banners that they have. Remember, the banners are the eight banners. So they would split the spoils eight ways. Now, the privileges that you get included red carriage wheels, purple horse reins, uh, purple cushions, peacock feathers, and the use of leather whips to carry uh, to clear a path and the employment of eunuchs. However, these eight privileges meant that the princes were not able to leave the capital. They had to reside within the capital and render services to the court. So they had to participate in state councils and were able to share parts of the war, uh, spoils of war, but it meant that they could not leave the capital. And that is a pro and con, depending on how close you want to be to imperial power. If you're granted the eight privileges, the title that your male descendants inherit will be downgraded for four generations, after which the title will not be downgraded. Um, unless, of course, you yourself have been uh, have contributed service and get appointed a higher title. So, for example, if right now I'm a Qin Wang, which means I'm a son of an emperor, my son will automatically gr be granted a title of Jun Wang, which is prince of the second rank. He will not inherit my title of Qin Wang unless there is a special reason. And this goes down my line until Beizi for my great grandchild. Now, if you don't have the eight privileges, then the title continues to downgrade until it reaches the feng and jiangjun, or general by grace. So that's like eight down, eight generations down the road. Now, there were 12 iron cap princely families, which were bestowed on to the sons of earlier emperors of the Qing dynasty. So all the way back to the first emperor. This means that the heir will always inherit a title of Qin Wang or prince of the first rank, 
Um, there was two that would always inherit a prince of the second rank, but it always meant that that title will be inherited regardless of how many generations it has been. What's also a little bit different in the Qing dynasty is that they bestowed prince titles to Mongolian princes. This again underscores the alliance between the Manchu and the Mongolians. For various Han dynasties, such as Ming, which was the dynasty right before, they were very wary of granting prince titles to anybody outside of the Zhu family, which was the imperial family. And again, as we've seen, princes are also not born equal. The 10th prince that we see here in this banquet, Dun Wang, was the most highborn son of the previous emperor, Kangxi, outside of um, Taizi, which unfortunately passed. And his um, status is much more, is higher than Yongzheng, our current emperor, which is why right now Yongzheng is very wary of him. In history, he was actually not Team Yongzheng. He did not the, enjoy the title of Qin Wang, which is shown here, but only of Jun Wang, which is Prince of the Second Rank, the same as the 17th Prince, Guo Jun Wang. He was actually on the 8th Prince's team, and according to history, he will be banished pretty soon and won't be freed until the death of Yongzheng. Pretty interesting, right? I thought that was really cool. And again, each of these uh, princes generally are granted a certain title before their name um, or else they're just named by their um, their birth rank. So for the 17th prince, he could be potentially called Shiqi Junwang, but his title is Guo Junwang Guo, which means fruit. So, you know, you can take it as it is. Other titles can be like Bao Qinwang, uh, which means precious or, you know, jewelry and and so on and so forth. Very similar to how concubines are granted special titles for their uh, for for them as well. Well, enough history. Let's talk about the dance. Jing Hongwu. This Jing Hongwu dance is so well known because of this drama. The three words separately means kind of weird it's in if you translate it into english directly it's like surprised bird dance jing means surprising or amazing hong in this context means bird or a goose and wu means dance so the three words together in english are it, i would say is like a surprising bird dance and the name of this dance has its roots back all the way to the tang dynasty about a thousand years before this time period in the Qing dynasty. So many people have seen this drama and seen this dance that the choreography for Qing Hongwu is now iconic. And of course, this is made up. The records say that Qing Hongwu that was uh, documented in the Tang dynasty is lost. We don't know what it actually looks like. So many people have seen this dance and seen this choreography that it is now iconic. The costume too is really well known. A few fun facts that I've been dying to share about this dance is that, one, in interviews with the cast about this show, Sun Li, the actress who plays Jin Huan, shared that she slept weird the night of this shoot um, and that she couldn't actually turn her head when she was dancing. If you see the show, she's doing lots and lots of spins. So kudos to her for still dancing and making this dance look beautiful and now being iconic. But what's really interesting is 
I rem- remember seeing uh, chats and forums of when this first came out and people were like, I don't know how I feel about her dancing because she was being compared to other very beautiful uh, actresses who were great dancers like Liu Shushu. And they were people were saying, you know, they were a little bit less than impressed with the end result. And so part of the reason, as she explained, is because she couldn't turn her neck. So I just thought that was interesting. I still think she did a really great job. And this dance is beautiful. The other fun fact about this dance is that it was actually choreographed by none other than the actor who plays the Imperial Doctor, Wen Shuchu. Now, we haven't seen Wen Shuchu in a couple of episodes, but he will be more important going forward. The actor's name is Zhang Xiaolong, and interestingly, Zhang Xiaolong is also the etiquette instructor for this drama. All of the curtsying and bowing and basically everything that you see is that is very accurate to etiquette in this drama was taught by him. But his background is actually in dance. He studied dance at the Beijing Film Academy and was the one to actually choreograph the dance for the show because they didn't have someone on hand to do something very quickly. And so he was like, I can do it. Talk about impressive talent. He's an actor, he's the etiquette instructor, and also a dancer and choreographer. It's funny because even the other day, I was watching a clip of a reality show that he's on now where he's a judge, and he's judging other people and their dancing talents, and he performed a snippet of this Jing Hongwu because people in the audience and the other judges were like, I want to see this. This is your background. I want to see Jing Hongwu from Jin Huan Zhuan. And he killed it. <laughs> Well, thanks for that background. Let's let's talk about why this dance is such a hot potato. Let's dig in a little bit deeper. So Cao Guiren had the idea to let the concubines perform. If this was just in Hogong, fine. Not a big deal. Because the only man enjoying this or the concubines' performances would be the emperor. But there are other males here. All of the other princes. And again... China at this point was very conservative. Performers during this time were also considered very low class, and this puts Jin Huan at a severe disadvantage. The 10th prince, Dun Xin Wang, makes a snide comment saying, Brother, you can't tell me your concubines are even worse than my own dancers. The emperor loses face if his concubines cannot live up to their reputation. Right? Again, misogyny, sexism, all that. Women are not treated very well here. And even in even if they're concubines at the end of the day, you know, they could basically be treated no better than just a dancer or performer. The other reason is a bit more nuanced. Tifei, another consort that is at the banquet, and even Huang Hou say that this dance was made famous by the previous empress, Chun Yuan. She amazed the audience with this dance, and how can anybody compete? Again, this was outright said during the banquet. If Jin Huan does an imitation, then it belittles Chun Yuan Huang Hou's spirit. If she does a poor job, she loses the emperor's face. She's in a lose-lose situation, and the only way to win is to literally knock it out of the park. She needs to balance both the imperial court, Tian Chao, and the imperial harem, Hou Gong, but at the same time, she cannot come up short. What can she do? At first, you know, she's like, I'm just going to wing it. Well, she knows the dance, but she'll just do what she can. 
At the beginning, like we said, Jin Huan is not doing well. Everyone just says, yeah, it's okay. It's only when the 17th prince, Guo Wang, comes in with a flute accompaniment does the dance get elevated to something more. Again, based on what Karen said, we should give some props to Sun Li, the actress here. She actually did train as a professional performer and dancer with the Shanghai military. So um, she at least has the training and the foundation to do this dance. At the end of the dance, the 10th prince actually says some pretty demeaning stuff about the performance, to which the 17th prince states that Jing Hongwu originated from Meifei, who, as we mentioned earlier, is a character or a historical figure from the Tang dynasty. Who is this exactly? There is a whole backstory for this that we will discuss in the next episode. That's all we have for discussing episode 13. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed this episode as much as we enjoyed discussing this, especially, again, like I said, Jing Hongwu. I'm so happy to be finally talking about this dance. As always, if you have any questions or comments, please email us at chasingdramaspodcast at gmail.com. We look forward to having you with us in the next episode.